0: You're listening to episode 43 of the Money Owners podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? Gosh, I'm so sorry. It's been <laughs> it's been a really long time since I last recorded, and I um, my apologies. And I hope you're all still listening. I really appreciate it if you have been a loyal listener and you've been waiting for these to come out every two weeks. And then I'm telling you every three weeks, and then this time it's been a month. Um I do have an excuse. <laughs> so my book was supposed to come out um in September and it is launching in October now. So um as of now the launch date for the Personal Finance Quick Start Guide, which is the name of my book, um is coming out in October. Um hopefully October 19th is the date so far. And um I hope everybody who's listening to this likes the podcast enough and likes me enough and trusts me enough to go out there and buy my book. So basically, it's just an extended version of everything that you hear on this podcast um, in print format and in a place where you'll be able to not only just read the words, but use it as a reference guide. That was kind of my hope and also create your own financial plan. So the purpose of the book is really um, for you to read through it and answer the exercises as you go along. and be able to put something together for yourself that you'll be really proud of and something that will actually help you change your financial life, which is something we talk about on this show all the time. Um, And the main goal of the book really is to help you visualize where you want to go and really get the feeling that you have when you're doing it so that you can generate that energy and keep doing it Um, when times get tough, when times get hard, when, you know, it's not so fresh on day 56 after you've been doing it for a while and it doesn't really feel like fun anymore. (laughs) Um, The point of the book is to really help you find the thing that motivates you, um, the thing that gives you some discipline and the thing that will help you get to the place of financial freedom that you want to be. So, um, I hope it's worth the wait. <laughs> if not, I don't know what to tell you. Don't buy it. I don't know, whatever. Um, and just, uh, keep listening to this podcast and, um, you can also find me on Twitter at Morgan with an e Rochard. I've been trying to put out some little one-liners and quick content there as well. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to make this as accessible as possible so that people really can get good free financial advice, um, in a way that serves them. So with that, um, I'll leave it there. Um, my other excuse is we are expecting a baby in January. Um, and so between the two things, I've just been juggling a lot and I've been kind of tired and you know, I've needed a little more self-care lately. So please forgive me for not putting this out at my usual pace. Uh, <laughs> but that said, um, we will do probably another episode on kids, um, coming up. I was thinking about doing it today and then I re-listened to the kids episode. I think it's episode 22, um, before I made the show notes for this one. And I actually really like that episode <laughs> And it covers a lot of really good topics about kids. Um, It's pretty broad. So I think what we'll probably do in future kids episodes is um, I will kind of break that content down and and flesh it out a little bit more. that way it's not a half hour of me kind of meandering through all of the possible topics related to kids. Um, But if you do have kids and you wanted something specific, why don't you send that over? Because that's something I've been thinking about anyways, and it's been on my mind. Um, But today is not about that. Today is actually about evaluating risk um, it's really just a risk podcast in general. And this came up for me because, um, my mom actually said to me last night, she said that, um, she goes, you're a maverick. And, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you don't really think through your decisions and you just, you take on risk. And, um, and I actually kind of thought that that was, uh, well, at first I was offended, obviously, cause you know, how, how dare she? <laughs> and then I was like, then I thought it was kind of cool to be called a maverick. And then I was like, well, Um, in some regards, I guess that's true, but in other regards, I feel like I actually do take a lot of time to think about my decisions. I just make them a little bit more quickly than the average person. Um, so part of your evaluating your own risk tolerance, um, is actually evaluating how you make decisions because, um, taking on risk is a big decision that people make. And if you are used to making decisions all the time and used to kind of, I don't know, making decisions on the fly basically without perfect information, which is pretty much how we, (laughs) we all make decisions, right? Because we live in a world where we never really have perfect information. Um, Then I think the way you evaluate how you make those decisions and how quickly you're able to make them and how well you do as a result of those decisions um, actually is a really good measure of your risk uh, tolerance. And I actually think even more so than some of these risk tolerance questionnaires that you can find online. So I happen to really like the Vanguard Risk Tolerance Questionnaire. And we um, I even use that actually in my financial planning practice as um, how we evaluate risk for clients. But it's not the only thing that we use. I mean, um, to put into some perspective, We keep that on file because compliance makes me have a risk tolerance questionnaire for people on file, right? (laughs) How we evaluate risk of a client is by talking to them. I speak to a client and I hear about the things that they're doing and how they approach their life and how they approach investments and how they make decisions. And then I actually make a decision about their risk tolerance based on that. Um, and we usually end up confirming it with a risk tolerance questionnaire or the risk tolerance questionnaire is usually pretty close to what I thought it would be. Um, but the risk tolerance questionnaire sometimes could throw people off because if you're not that savvy with investments, sometimes you look at those questions and you're like, what the heck are these people talking about? Uh, <laughs> especially the Vanguard one. Cause at the end they give you like a little, um, asset allocation and we'll link to this in the show notes. That way you can go over there and take one for yourself if you want to. Um, but yeah, they give you a little asset allocation at the end. And I always find that funny because, um, (laughs) how could they possibly know from your risk tolerance questionnaire, how you're supposed to be invested? They don't have any idea what your, what assets you hold and everything else. So, um, one of the things we talked about actually in a Q and a session in episode number 10 was how to evaluate risk tolerance. Um, and we talked about this concept called ability versus willingness and those two, those two factors make up your risk tolerance. Um so I'll just give it a quick review for those of you who maybe haven't listened to that episode or maybe it's been a while since you listened to that episode since I think that episode came out 2 years ago. <laughs> but basically I mean it is exactly how it, so- how it sounds, right? Your ability to take risk is literally that. It's um your wherewithal to do so. How much you have in assets, how long until you need those assets, how stable your income is. Um and all of the things that go into what's incoming and what's outgoing, right? Do you have like really stable income and really erratic expenses that would actually um, reduce your risk tolerance or vice versa? Do you have really erratic income and really high fixed expenses that would also reduce your risk tolerance? Whereas if you had really stable income, but you also had pretty low fixed expenses, then your risk tolerance would actually be higher from an ability standpoint. Um, So these are all things that you can think about when you're thinking about your ability. Um, Also, your time horizon comes into play quite a bit. So if you need to use the money, let's say to go make a down payment on a house in two years, then you don't really have ability to take risk, right? Because assets that are risky tend to take a long time to pan out. (laughs) So like you can't put your, you know, your assets 100% in Bitcoin, then go expect to buy a house in six months. Um, I know there are a lot of people who are listening to this who completely disagree with that statement because they think Bitcoin always goes up. But I mean, guys, come on, look at the chart. It's That's not true. Um, <laughs> so all I'm saying, right, is you need to evaluate um, your time horizon on when you need the money versus like if you need your money only in retirement, your retirement is 30 years off, right? You have a lot of ability to take risks because not only are you putting that money away for retirement later on and you don't actually need it today, but you also have the 30 plus years to invest it. And then if retirement, let's say, is 30 years away, you also still have the period over which you are retired and still you need to hold risky assets in that portfolio because presumably your retirement period is still another 20 to 30 years after that, right? So we're actually not talking about just a 30-year period. We're talking about a 50 to 60-year period, depending on your age. Um, So that makes up ability. Willingness, right, is the other part. It's the part of risk that most people think of, right? You think of the... um, I don't know, the very risk averse, um, elderly person, let's say who, you know, they only want to put their money in CDs because they're afraid they're going to lose a penny, but, and they're, and they're willing to give up a lot of return to do so. Um, right. It's, it's really, it's literally your. Um, your actual tolerance for an asset's movement, I would say, is what describes willingness versus the ability to do so. Um, and willingness usually weighs out over ability. So people who generally have high ability and they have low willingness to take risk, if you don't really want to take risk, generally you don't take it, right? If you're really afraid of stock market returns or of assets that move around a lot, most pe- for most people, they're just not going to do it because it scares them and makes them not be able to sleep at night. Um, And then vice versa for the people who (laughs) have really high willingness, but actually pretty low ability that also willingness tends to win out as well when it shouldn't. Um, And for those people, they end up taking on more risk maybe than they can. Um, and presumably a lot of the time end up in a situation that they really should never have been in. Um, So if you find yourself um, constantly in financial turmoil, (laughs) maybe you need to start thinking about your ability versus your willingness to be doing some of the things that you're doing with your finances. Um, I would say whichever is lower should always win out. Um, If you have low ability and high willingness, the abilities should take over willingness, right? If you have low ability, then you just can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, you can find a way, right. You can change some of these things around, maybe make more money, maybe spend a little bit less, Maybe try to come up with more stable income, try to put some money away that you don't need after you have an emergency fund, then you can take on a little bit of risk, right? There are ways around these things. Same thing with if you have a low willingness, right? If you have a low willingness, it's a good time to start educating yourself on why your willingness is low and how you're making decisions and why you're thinking about these things the way that you are and really evaluate all the facts um, that are making up that willingness behind your risk tolerance. Because a lot of the times when when I see low willingness, it's actually... It's like those money scripts and things that we've been talking about a lot on this show. It really, um, it kind of sometimes has nothing to do with reality. It has a lot more to do with um, the thoughts that we have about our situation or um, the thoughts that were imprinted in our brain when we were a, a young kid, things that we saw um Situations that happen to us where we really we saw somebody lose a lot of money, or um, I don't know, there could be any slew of things. Somebody even just told you that you know stocks are bad, and then you just thought that for the rest of your life, and you now have a low willingness to take risk when it comes to the stock market. I don't know. Um, I'm sure if you evaluated <laughs> your own brain and you were able to come up with what was going on in there, you would see that your um, your willingness in either direction of being really high or being really low is actually generally really influenced by. Um, Some of the things that you heard when you were younger or peers who told you things maybe even in college, um, you know, the impressionable years, the years when your prefrontal cortex are still forming, (laughs) still forming into what it's supposed to be, um, you know, before you're 30, basically. So, yeah, something to think about for sure. And there's another piece to risk. Um, So people like to use the words risk and uncertainty interchangeably, but they're really not interchangeable. Um, if we define them, risk in and of itself is actually when you know the um, the potential outcomes in advance. So something like flipping a coin, right, is 50-50, or um, you can make a bet on the ace of spades that you're going to get the ace of spades one out of 52 of the time, right? <laughs> These are odds that you know in advance, whereas uncertainty, you don't know all the possible outcomes in advance. Um, and we mostly live with uncertainty, actually. We we live with less with risk and predictable outcomes and more with uncertainty. Um, and obviously, that depends on, you know, what you're doing and everything else. But um, I would say for the most part, we usually don't know the thing that's going to hurt us the most. <laughs> um, and I think that also is what uh, it, it could heavily influence people's willingness to take risk um, when... They really fear for the worst and think of all the bad things that can happen, plus the fact that they don't even know the bad thing that can happen, right? Um, It can really hamstring you when you start thinking that way. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't evaluate um, the uncertainty or risk behind a situation that you're about to embark on. Um, And it really does always come back to how you approach decisions. So, I mean, there's no way that you'll ever have perfect information when you make a decision, no matter what that decision is. Um, something so simple as moving down the block, right? Let's say you wanted to upgrade your house, and there was a house for sale three three doors down from where you are right now, and it was everything you hoped and dreamed it would be, right? there's still uncertainty there. Even, even though you're moving three houses down the block, I don't know. Um, there could be a problem with the driveway and then the city has to do something about it. Uh, a wall can fall down in your house. Like there could be a multitude of problems with the piping that you didn't know about prior to moving into that house. Hopefully you got an inspection before you did all that stuff, but I'm just saying, you know, like, you know, things come up, um, even on small decisions that seem like they're, they're not such a big deal. Um, And I kind of always like to think about risk in the way that like, what's the worst that can happen? Right? Like really what's the worst that can happen? Um, because when you think about it from that perspective, then you're actually able to easier evaluate where your head is at and what's going to happen down the road for you. So, Something, for instance, let's say uh, you have a really low willingness to take risk, um, but you have a reasonable ability to do so. And you're really kind of gun shy about putting money into long term assets like stocks or um, or Bitcoin or any of these other things that you need to hold for 30 plus years. Um, if, when you actually evaluate like what's the worst that can happen, right? So yeah, like the stock market can, you know, crap the bed and you can, <laughs> or, you know, I don't know, your um, your crypto asset can go to, to like half the price, right? Um, and it can stay there for a while. But on the other side of that is you could not be able to retire, right? You could not put away enough money to make up for the inflation that happens over the years um, and you not being able to keep up with inflation. And you're trading basically, uncertainty today for uncertainty in the future. Um, And that's something that's often forgotten about um, when people have low willingness to take risk. They don't think about what it will be like when they're 70 and they just simply don't have enough money and they have to start making changes in their lifestyle today uh, at that point, right? It's a lot harder to do it Um, when you have, you know, 50 years of ingrained spending behavior (laughs) than it is maybe to do it today, depending on like where you are or what your age is. I think that anytime is a good time to do it. Um, if you're ready and you want to make changes and you want to make changes to your financial life. Um, but you can always make changes to your habits. Um, but that said, obviously it's still more difficult, right. To do so when you've been doing something for a long time, it's like, if you're a nail biter, right. If you're a nail biter for a year, it's probably a lot easier to stop nail biting than if you've been nail biting for 25 years. (laughs) It's the reason why like a smoker for 25 years needs to wear maybe a nicotine patch. Whereas somebody, you know, who smoked a few in high school can just quit. Right. (laughs) Um, so yeah, what's the worst that can happen is always a nice thing to think about. And then think about, okay, well, how likely is either side of this? You know, how likely uh, if I'm trading, you know, risk now for risk later, uncertainty now for uncertainty later, how likely is the uncertainty now going to happen? And how likely is the uncertainty later going to happen? So in the um, in the retirement example, it's highly likely that you will have issues retiring um, if you don't, if you don't save a lot more as a result of being, of not putting money in, let's say an asset that can actually grow at seven to eight plus percent per year versus if you just stuck it in bonds, especially right now, I mean, you're going to, what are you going to get like 80 bips, <laughs> um, or, you know, 1.5% if you put it into the tenure, like that, that doesn't sound that exciting to me. I don't know. Does that sound exciting to you? Right. That's not really, I mean, granted, um, If bonds are there, that probably means that there's low inflation, but that doesn't like just keeping up with inflation isn't going to help your assets grow for what you need to have later on for retirement. So, um, it's actually a lot more likely that you're trading, um, the uncertainty later on for the uncertainty right now. And if you are saving and investing and doing all of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time, then that's not money that you need for a very long time. Um, in which case it's one of those things where you need to evaluate the facts and say, okay, how can I get myself to a place where I'm able to take the risk that I need to make sure that I get where I need to go later on so I don't have that uncertainty later? Um, I'm not saying, I, I hope, I, I guess I should have had a disclaimer on this. <laughs> Um, please don't misconstrue everything I'm saying right now to be that you need to take risk. Um, I think that obviously it depends, right. And it's on a case by case basis and it depends on what your asset base is and how much you're saving and everything else. So, um, but I would say like on average, you need to at least be in a 50, 50 portfolio of at least 50% stocks and 50% bonds. I mean, or 50% risky assets and 50%, um, less risky assets. I mean, there's kind of no other way that you're going to get where you need to go. And that's a pretty balanced portfolio that, Um, Somebody with a a, you know um, low to moderate risk tolerance should be able to withstand given depending on their time horizon, right? Obviously, if you're going to buy a house, like this wouldn't apply. But if you're if you're putting this money into retirement or some sort of other long term goal, then that is something that you should be able should be thinking about. Is okay? Will I be able to fund that goal later? And what do I need to do right now to make sure that I can? Um, So that kind of brings me to the next part of risk taking that I wanted to talk about, which is. Like what to do before taking risk. (laughs) Um, And really, I think the number one thing before you even jump into this list to think about is like risk taking actually builds self-trust. So a lot of the times the reason why we may or may not want to take risk um, has a lot to do with our confidence level. Um, and generally people who are like really willing to take risks, sometimes are confident, overconfident to the point of, you know, destructive behaviors. Right. But on the other side of that, if you're not, if you're unwilling to take risks, you might have a lack of confidence, um, just around making financial decisions in general. Um, and if you are in that, in, in that camp, you need to evaluate why, Um, And what is it that is keeping you from having that confidence to make the appropriate decisions that you need to make for your finances and for your family? Um, Without knowing you, right, it's going to be really hard for me to point those things out. Um, That said, it usually does come back to an education or knowledge-related component to it. Um, Generally, when people feel like they have the right uh, information at their fingertips and they start to get comfortable with ideas um it might not be that you read one article once about you know passive index investing and then you're fine with it right <laughs> it might be more like exposure therapy where you read an article and then you talk to a friend about it and then you read another article and then you talk to a pundit about it. I don't know. Um, and then you listen to this podcast and then you listen to five more of this podcast and then you decide that you don't like me anymore because I'm telling you to go take some risk on this one. Um, and then you go read another article, right? You talk to another friend. And then the next thing you know, after a year of that, you're like, okay, I can do this. Um, but that builds confidence, right? You would be a different person 365 days later if you actually took steps to do that than you are today. So a lot of this comes back to the first thing that we were talking about um, regarding my my book, which is you need to visualize the person that you want to be when you're making financial decisions and where you want to go and the feeling that you're going to have when you do both of those things. Because when you, when you do that, you will actually be in a situation where you're able to confidently make financial decisions. And the more you're able to do that, the more you're able to take on some some risks. Um, and really any decision-making I think is risk-taking, um, (laughs) is the more you do that, the more you're, you're going to trust yourself that you're able to do that. And the more you trust yourself that you're able to do that, you're more, you're going to be able to make those decisions, right? It's like a really nice feedback loop where it just keeps going, where you make a decision you feel better about making decisions and you make another decision and you feel better about making another decision. And it goes round and round and round and round and round until you're so confident that you're making bad decisions again. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But you get the point, right? Um, So with that in mind, I just wanted to delve into the list. So it's really important to do the following before you take risk. One is you got to look at the facts. You just have to, you have to evaluate every situation for what it is. And you have to find the facts of that situation um, to the best of your ability, right? Like don't take all freaking day doing it. I mean, I don't mean to like gather facts from now until the end of time and and then the decision doesn't matter anymore, right? That's going to lead to a lack of confidence and ability to make decisions. But I mean, gather enough information that you can make an informed decision about the thing that you're about to do. Um, And this really kind of goes for anything. (laughs) It doesn't just need to be something that you do in regards to financial decisions. I think when you make decisions in general, right, you should get the facts about the Decision that you're making. Um, and then tune into your gut. The second thing you need to do is after you have the facts, tune into your gut. What is your instinct saying? Is this the right decision for me based on the facts that I have uncovered? Is this right? And then you gotta tune off your gut. <laughs> Because sometimes your instincts are wrong (laughs) Um, and you kind of need to know the difference. So um, sometimes we get a bad feeling about things because of kind of thoughts we have in our head and our brain about, um, you know, how... I I don't know, something like real estate, for instance, right? If if all of a sudden somebody's telling you to invest in the stock market and you get a bunch of information about why you should do that and your rental property is only returning what you would get in a bank account, but you're taking on all this risk doing that to make 0.8% on your... (laughs) (laughs) on your real estate investment, right? Like the facts are maybe pointing in a different direction, but your gut is telling you do not invest in the stock market. Because when I was a kid, I heard that there's always money in land and that real estate only goes up in value. Um, So in some senses, you do need to pay attention to your gut because sometimes your instincts, sometimes your instincts are there for a reason and they will protect you. And other times they actually will be the most deceptive thing that you can have. (laughs) Um, I think that if you know, you have a lot of financial baggage in your past, then uh, like, yeah, check in with your body and stuff and see how you're feeling about a decision, but then like ignore the crap out of your body because you obviously, you know, you have some stuff that you need to work through. So I think like step two of like, you know, tune into your gut and then tune out of your gut. I think that is kind of on a case by case basis. And it really depends. And you kind of have to know yourself and know where you are in, um, um, in your, I guess, your financial maturity (laughs) to know if you are capable of really trusting your instincts. Um, I would say on average, um, there will be financial decisions that you can trust your instincts on, and there will probably be others that you can't. And that would probably go for pretty much all people, unless you're a robot, because we're all, (laughs) we're all affected by things from our past in one way or another. So, um, yeah, no matter how financially savvy you are, there's still just things in your brain that are going to crudge you up and make you do things that you don't necessarily really aren't in your best interest. That doesn't mean though that it's a problem. It's only a problem, right? If it's negatively affecting your financial situation. Um, all right. I guess this one needs to be pointed out, but I kind of feel like I don't want to patronize you or anything, but like, don't make decisions or financial decisions or don't take on any risk in general. Like when you're drunk or high, like, really honestly, like don't make like a giant financial decision after you've been drinking all night with friends. Um, it's kind of like, you know, how friends tell other friends not to get a tattoo and they're drunk, right? (laughs) You're going to regret that in the morning. Yeah. Don't do any of that with your finances either. Don't do things that you can't undo while you're intoxicated. All right. Um, the other thing to consider is you kind of have to know in advance that project progress is not a straight line. So I feel like sometimes people think, okay, I'm going to like go buy the stock market or I'm going to go buy some Bitcoin or I'm going to go do like, you know, go buy a piece of real estate. And then they literally expect that thing to just go up Um, because it's like, all right, well, I bought it on this day. So like, I mean, I I think a good example of this actually, um, what's that guy's name from Barstool Sports, which I was kind of cracking up about. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, I can't remember his name. Um, Doesn't really matter. Anyways, what he was saying, he went out, like people told him to go buy Bitcoin. So he went out there and bought Bitcoin. And then like, I think three days later, he like lost his shirt because like it dropped to 12% or whatever. Um, And the stock market was going up and he sold everything. And he was like, you know, why would I buy this stupid asset when I could just buy stocks and I make $75,000 a day or whatever stupid comment he had on Twitter. Um, And people were obviously laughing at him because like, I mean, your time horizon for a long-term asset isn't three days, right? Like It's just like ridiculous. Um, So yeah, I mean, like think about that when you are expecting like unrealistic returns from an investment that is really something that should be considered a long-term asset. Um, I consider anything long-term assets to be really real estate, um, stocks, and um, and Bitcoin, right? Anything that, that falls into the category of you need to wait a long time for it to pan out, And don't expect it to pan out in a shorter period of time because it's just not going to do it. Um, It's also one of the reasons why um, we typically tell, I typically tell clients, don't check your net worth every day. Don't check your statements every month. Don't check uh, your portfolio. Don't log in there every single day and see what's going on. Um, It's because your assets don't go up in a straight line. (laughs) So one day they'll be up, the next day they'll be down. One day they'll be up, the next day they'll be down, right? Like three days they'll be up, one day they'll be down, right? And then you're like, obviously, when you, whatever the high watermark is, that's the number that, you know, we all want to have. It's like your portfolio is $1.2 million one day, right? It, it's always got to be $1.2 million or higher, even though like that just happened to be like one high day that you might not see for another three months. Um, so it's one of the reasons why in my practice, I evaluate net worth annually, um, we look at um, investment returns on a quarterly basis but we don't focus on the investment returns it's just really more to like make sure that the portfolio is in line um, that clients assets haven't gone well beyond their risk tolerance over any given quarter um, I do the continuous monitoring for my clients right so that they don't have to do that um, if you're not working with a planner owner or an advisor that doesn't mean that you need to do that <laughs> in fact there was a study that fidelity did where they they um, Determine that the accounts that had done the best were ones where people didn't, they like lost their login information or they died. Um, So that kind of puts it into perspective for you, right? The less you do, usually the better it is. Um, And really for most people, it should be a set in and forget it. Um, It's something like when you're thinking about your asset allocation, you really want to think about what's important to you, what the time horizons on those things that are important to you are, and then evaluate how you're going to construct a portfolio based on that. And then don't change it. Unless your circumstances change, right? Unless all of a sudden you no longer want to buy a house, send your kids to college and, you know, retire in 30 years, unless those aren't your goals anymore, then you don't need to change your portfolio. Um, And maybe you need to change things, you know, after you buy the house in one to three years, right? Or whatever it is for you. But um, it's just things to think about when you're thinking, when you're thinking about how often do I need to be doing stuff with my assets? And the answer is you don't really need to do it that frequently. Um, and if you're the kind of person that's able to save on, let's say, uh, a bi-monthly or monthly, um, paycheck, because that's how you get paid. And you're able to actually put away a portion of your paycheck like that. Um, my suggestion to you is to really do auto investing that way you don't have to look at it and it's just being done for you. And that way you can check your portfolio once a year and just be pleasantly surprised about all the money that you've accumulated. (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. So, and then the last point I wanted to make is you need to also know when to change course. And we kind of just discussed that a little bit, um, in the last point, but, The best, so I tell my clients this all the time that the best time to buy is when you have money to buy and the best time to sell is when you need your money for something. So (laughs) the first part is actually pretty easy, right? You have income coming in, you spend less than you make then, um, and you also have an emergency fund and presumably you have no debt. It's a great time to buy. Doesn't matter where the market is. It doesn't matter. That's the right time for you to buy. The time for you to sell is a little bit more complicated, right? Um, and those that could be sometimes could be a moving goalpost. But for the most part, if when you're buying, you make a decision about uh, when you're actually going to need your money, then you can invest your money accordingly. And unless that plan changes, or unless something in your life significantly changes. Um, there's really no reason for you to sell for any other reason um, beyond maybe your portfolio going outside your risk tolerance. So that gets into a rebalancing discussion, something I I didn't really want to talk about today. So I'm not going to, but um, yeah, rebalancing would mean tweaking a little bit, buying and selling a little bit to make sure that it still matches the original asset allocation that you set and your risk tolerance and your time horizon for everything. Um, Whereas like changing course is not a little rebalance changing course is like, okay, um, things have changed in my life. And I now just want to like, go buy a boat and sail around the, out around the world for the rest of my life. And I want to find a country where I can, you know, make that my, my home domicile and now retire early and do that instead. (laughs) of like what you were originally going to do, which was staying in America and trying to save, I don't know, $4 million so you could retire. Right. Like that would be a significant change in which case it would require you to change how you had your assets allocated. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, in lieu of that, I mean, I think that for most people, they don't need to change course. Um, That said though, If you're choosing assets um, that could go bankrupt or that could really go to zero, um, then you need to do a lot more monitoring and it might require more change, like course changes, given how you're, you know, evaluating assets and that kind of thing. But I think, though, those are kinds of the that's the kind of discussion that you need to have with yourself of like, am I actually evaluating this asset properly or am I nervous because it went down in price and therefore I think I need to change course because the original valuation I had for that asset didn't pan out, right? So sometimes there's, there's other behavioral biases that make it really difficult to know whether or not you need to change course. And it's kind of one of the reasons why, unless you're an experienced investor, we typically tell people, um, and honestly, I think that experienced investors should do this too, but we do typically tell people that they should hold really diversified portfolios of companies. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it in a passive way. Um, but it does mean that you should hold more than like 10, you know, companies in your, <laughs> in your portfolio or something. Um, and maybe diversify it into different asset classes. Like don't, maybe don't only hold stocks. Um maybe don't only hold one asset class. Like I know a lot of people like to do. Um, so all well, things to think about cause it'll make your life a little bit easier when you're, when you're making decisions about whether or not you legitimately need to change course. Um, Alrighty, that's all I have for you um, on this month's episode of Money Owners. Um, I will try to get these out a little bit sooner. I'm really sorry about the delay on all of this. Hopefully, I'm able to get one out in three weeks is what I'm hoping. It will not be two weeks, but I promise you it will not be as long as this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, um, if you have any questions or any topics you want addressed, address, um, please send me a note on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E Rochard or at money underscore owners. If you like the show, tell a friend, tell your parents, tell your sister, tell your dog, tell your neighbor. I don't know, tell anyone who has a, you know, access to a podcasting. Um, and then also, um, please write me a review. I read all of them and I really appreciate that. Um, and if you don't like the show, then I don't know what to tell you. Stop listening. Go find another show. Um, that's not my problem. (laughs) All right, y'all I'll talk to you um, in a few weeks and thanks again.